Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, a conversation with the author of A Summer Classic, an inspiring story of overcoming obstacles, both personal and professional, on the road to success that the Detroit Free Press calls essential reading for any aspiring entrepreneur. Also this morning, Dr. Bill Coase previews today's Facebook Live event from Blanchard Valley Health System on the current state of COVID-19 in the community. And improving Hancock County's heart health in the month of February. We'll find out what's happening from the OSU Extension. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, February 16th, 2022. Today is Do a Grouch a Favor Day. Need a reason to celebrate? Uh, Kind of uh, bite your tongue and do a grouch a favor today. Also, National Almond Day today. National Innovation Day. It is Tim Tam Day. Tim Tams. My my wife is a big fan of uh, Tim Tams. The, um, uh, like the uh, sweet snack. I think they're popular in, in Europe. Or some such. Anyway, my wife uh, loves those. And we get those at like the world market, places like that. So Tim Tam Day today. And uh, it is also Kyoto Protocol Day. Uh, The Kyoto Protocol, an international agreement to reduce greenhouse gas emissions that contribute to global warming. And uh, today, the anniversary of the date that the Kyoto Protocol took effect back in 2005. And kind of interesting... With that, a new report from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration on sea level rise in the U.S. being called a global wake-up call on this Kyoto Protocol Day. NOAA says that the U.S. coastline is expected to see as much as a foot of sea level rise by the year 2050. A foot of sea level rise. That would be significant, especially for those who have... You know, seafront, oceanfront properties will maybe be in the ocean properties uh, within the next 30 years. And to kind of put that into context, that is as much sea level rise as we have seen in the last century. They say just in the next 30 years. Meanwhile, the western U.S. and northern Mexico are experiencing their driest period in at least 1,200 years according to a study published this month in the journal Nature Climate Change. So we got a little bit of uh, everything here, but there is good news on the climate change front. A separate new study finds that the world is unlikely, unlikely to reach the worst case scenario of climate change by the end of this century. As a efforts to reduce emissions are helping keep Global warming in check. Back in 2015, the Paris Climate Agreement set a goal to limit global warming this century to 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit over pre-industrial temperatures in order to, mo- uh, to avoid the most extreme climate change scenarios that were being predicted at the time. Uh, they were predicting a rise of up to 9 degrees Fahrenheit in average global temperature, which would be significant. But now... Researchers at the University of Colorado say looking at the latest data on emission levels, the extreme temperature rise is no longer plausible. Not that it's not possible, but it's no longer plausible. 
The researchers say the extreme predictions were based on outdated data from 15 years ago that did not take into account recent efforts to reduce emissions and efforts to increase the use of renewable energy. And as we have done that, ultimately, they say temperatures are likely to rise by no more than four degrees Fahrenheit by the year 2100. And the 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit goal is definitely within reach if emission reduction continues. Now, they did say that a rise of 3.6 degrees would still place a significant toll on the planet. But the lead author of the study says this is cautiously optimistic good news with respect to where the world is today compared to where we thought we might be. So at long last, we actually have some good news on the climate change front. Just kind of uh, interesting stuff there. All surrounding Kyoto Protocol Day. Numbers are in for the Super Bowl. Did you watch the big game? TV's ratings were up 6% from last year with an estimated 101.1 million people watching the Super Bowl between the Rams and the Bengals. Uh, NBC said another 11.2 million people streamed the game which puts the total audience at 112.3 million people. And that combined audience up 12.6% over last year. And this comes after viewership for the playoffs were up about 20% over last year for just the divisional rounds and the conference championship games. uh, Ratings are up 10%. So it was... A really good year for the NFL, uh, particularly in the playoffs. And these playoffs were fabulous. I mean, they were fabulous. Uh, every game came down to the wire. There was not, there was not a blowout, blowout in the bunch, was there? Well, there were, there were. I guess in the wild card uh, round, there were a couple of games that you know, were not close. But uh, for the most part, every game came down to the last couple of minutes of the game. I think. Almost all of them were decided by a field goal or less. Uh, it was uh, quite a playoff series. And this was kind of interesting. Cincinnati had the highest audience share in the country, meaning the percentage of people who are watching TV were watching the game. The highest percentage of people who are watching any kind of television were watching the game. And the highest viewing share was in Cincinnati, which I guess you'll have that when you go to your first Super Bowl in 33 years Meanwhile, in Los Angeles, they weren't even among the top 10 markets in terms of viewing share. <laughs> Not even they won the game for crying out loud and they weren't even in the top 10 of market share. Uh, the research firm Samba TV estimated that about 1 million people tuned in just for the halftime show. Now I know it was really interesting in the aftermath of the big game, some of the comments on the halftime show. As anybody above the age of about 55 thought it was terrible, anybody under the age of 30 thought it was fabulous. And those in between were kind of, eh, <laughs> it was okay. But I mean, it was just very, it was, it was very generational, I thought. And, and I suppose that's to be, effect, uh, to be expected given the uh, nature of the, of the show and the 
uh, performers, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Mary Kay Blige, Kendrick Lamar, and 50 Cent made an appearance. But I thought it was interesting. One million people tuned in just for the halftime show and then turned the game off once the halftime show was over. So it was that as opposed to uh, what we hear a lot of times, people will turn off the halftime show and then come back for the game. But uh, this was kind of the opposite of that. Uh, let's see. Some of the other uh, interesting and uh, buzzworthy stories, the most buzzworthy stories, the first things you need to know right out of the gate this morning. Uh, Valentine's Day is behind us now. And uh, this is kind of a postscript on the whole romance and you know, romantic theme of uh, Valentine's Day. It says a, a new survey shows that two-thirds of Americans have ended a relationship because they literally could not sleep with their partners. And we're not talking about any sexual way. They just could not sleep with their partners. Uh, 2,000 Americans were polled, and 78% said that being sleep-compatible with a significant other is a key part in a coupling. Three in four said that they have had to adjust their sleeping habits to accommodate their partners. 65% say their partners have to do the same for them. Biggest offender? Snoring. And partners who hog the bed are the biggest offenders. Others complain they, they are night owls and their partners are early birds, and so the sleep schedule is off. 47% say they snore more than their significant others do. 45% say their partners steal more space on the bed. Um, and then not just stealing the space, stealing the covers is a big issue. It is maybe no surprise then that the that of the 65% who sleep with their partner every night, 56% say they wish they could sleep in separate beds. 56%. And I know for for a number of couples, that is becoming sort of a trendy thing. Actually sleeping in separate bedrooms. Not that there's anything wrong with the relationship. They just are sleep incompatible. And so they do. They sleep in separate beds. Incidentally, more than half of those polled say that they are light sleepers. Uh, nearly half also admit to sharing the bed with their pet, which throws a whole additional monkey wrench in the whole thing. And one third of those who do would rather disrupt their partner's sleep than their pets. I don't care if I disrupt my partner's sleep, just as long as my pet is getting a good night's sleep. <laughs> That's nice. It's nice to know where we rank on the hierarchy of things. Kind of interesting. If you have ever, this is really interesting, if you have ever wondered if your brain could run out of space, the answer appears to be yes. Researchers in Canada found that for older people, or found that, uh, let's try that again, researchers in Canada found that older people have too much information in their heads, resulting in cluttered memories, which they defined as struggling to recall specific or detailed information and events in comparison to younger people. So if you have that sensation, if you have that uh, issue, makes it harder for you to recall specific information from your memory bank as compared to someone younger than you, then you may have cluttered memory. The author of the study, Dr. Lynn Hesher, says these results may explain why wisdom and knowledge continue to grow as we age even as memory declines. They're just packing more stuff into our brains. And it gets cluttered. 
The issue is that on a day-to-day basis, the human mind constantly blocks out unnecessary information, but as we grow older, the mind's inhibition skills deteriorate, making it harder to focus on specific information. Researchers say this results in a flood of information and memory impairment among older adults. But a cluttered memory is not necessarily a bad thing, they say. This data shows that it is very likely a sign of wisdom and lots of knowledge. So, cluttered memory is a thing. Now, what was I saying? I just, <laughs> where was I? And uh, how about this? Speaking of uh, brain power, this is really amazing. Uh, researchers in Hungary have found, and if you've ever wondered this, have, have found that your dog is ap- actually able to recognize you by your voice alone. They put dogs in a room and they had their owners speak to them and they had perfect strangers speak to them and the dogs recognized the owner's speech even when they digitally altered the stranger's speech and tone of voice to sound more like their owners dogs could tell the difference and they made they took extra steps to make sure that it wasn't like the scent that they could pick up on uh, it was definitely the voice. They say your dog does indeed recognize your voice over the voice of others. That's kind of interesting. I think we all inherently knew that anyway, didn't we? But interesting to have research to confirm it. There you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Mostly cloudy, really windy today with a high of 53. Cloudy and windy tonight, a low 49. The National Weather Service has issued both a flood watch and a wind advisory for our area. The wind advisory will be in effect today for gusts up to 50 miles an hour. The high winds could take down some tree limbs, causing a few power outages. Then a flood watch will be in effect from late Wednesday night through Thursday night. Forecasters say significant snow melt combining with heavy rainfall could lead to flooding. Remember, you can get the latest forecast and river levels on the website. The United Way of Hancock County has announced its funding for this year. CEO Angela Dabosky says they regularly assess the areas of greatest need in the county and determine how to distribute funds to meet those needs. We are proud of our community and this campaign, but really wish we had the ability to meet every need presented to us. Among the nonprofits receiving funding this year are Children's Mentoring Connection, the Finley YMCA, and Christian Clearinghouse. You can see the full list of recipients on the website. The Ohio Supreme Court has ruled that a man can legally fight against others adopting his kids, even though he killed their mother. The man's attorney successfully argued that the father was not in contact with his kids because he was following a judge's no-contact order after the killing. The court agreed, ruling 4-3, to three, that complying with a no-contact order is not proof of insufficient contact with children. The children's maternal grandparents had taken custody of the children after the killing in 2006 and eventually petitioned to adopt them. Dave James, I went in news. The Omicron variant of the coronavirus continues to recede in Ohio. In the state of Ohio, on average, cases are down 68% from where they were 14 days ago, and hospitalizations are down 40% from where they were 14 days ago. Two Ohio elementary school teachers are being honored with the Presidential Award for Excellence in Teaching Math and Science. The Biden administration announced that Stephanie Nowak of Fairfax Elementary and Mentor and Christina Pratt of New Albany Primary School in New Albany have earned the honor. Established in 1983, the award is the highest award a teacher in kindergarten through 12th grade can receive from the U.S. government.
Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, it has been called an inspiring classic of how to climb the ladder to success and essential reading for any aspiring entrepreneur. A summer classic, The Bew White Story, is the biographical tale of the life and business journey of William Bew White III, founder of the outdoor furniture company Summer Classics. And Bew, I, I don't know quite how to ask this question without it sounding somewhat insulting. So my apologies if this is not going to come out the way it is intended. But what made you think that this would be something that people would want to read about? What was the impetus for the uh, book? I, well, there's a lot of different reasons. Uh, but I think the most important one was that that I almost died. And um, you get a signal to your brain that you're going to die. You literally, and, it, and it's overwhelming. It's just like, oh my gosh, I mean, you've got a few minutes to live and game over. So mm-hmm. um, after that happened and I came back uh, to life, I didn't, I didn't actually ever pass out or anything, but it was like, yeah, I got a signal that said, write the book. I had, I had been working on possibly writing a book, but I hadn't really follow through on it so it, mm. it gave me the impetus to, to follow through and and do it clearly i mean you know the old saying when you're on your deathbed you won't regret not spending more time in the office not doing one more business deal but you will regret the time not spent with family and doing the things you truly love and like you said you were pretty much there is that true yes it's true but i think um you know I, i've been uh, reading this this study on people that are in their 80s and what their regrets are. Mm-hmm. And one of the big, it, probably the top regret is that I didn't take enough risk. Hmm. And I don't think, I'm, I'm, I'm probably the opposite of that. I probably took too many risks. <laughs> so, you know, there's just, uh, there's, that, there's that. So that. And then I have a great relationship with my family and particularly with my wife. So that's been, uh, that's, that's something else that comes out of the book. There's yeah. a lot about that in the book about relationships, about endearing relationships and relationships, not just with my wife, but with, you know, people, clients, customers, your employees, mm-hmm. you know, your friends, you know, how important all that is. You you talk about uh, the the regret of, of- – you know, not taking too many chances or taking too many chances and finding that right balance. What's interesting is that that you left a family business to strike out on your own. This isn't something that you had to do. I'm guessing that you could have inherited what your family had already built and it would have been a much easier, certainly a much, much less risky road. Why didn't you? Is it just a case of you're just not wired that way or wanting to create your own legacy? I mean, what... You know, why not well, just take um, the easier road? When I got out of college, I moved to New York to work for uh, Avondale Mills, which was a, at that time was a Fortune 500 company. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, the first in the fourth generation to come in. And um, then behind me came four of my cousins. And so I see. I was like, man, I'm going to get to be 50 and I might not. I, I want to be president, but I might not get it. I'm going to be disappointed, blah, blah, blah. So I just said, I, I need to. I need to see what else there is. And I was talking to my client. I was calling on uh, entrepreneurs. And one day I'm with one of uh, my clients, and I, and he has like a small office with 
three people in it, and and one of them is him. And I, I asked him, I said, "What do you what do you pay yourself?" And he gave me the number, and it was more than the CEO of uh, Avondale was making at the time. And I went, "Wow, hmm. you can have a small business and do just as well." Or the other thought I had was. My great-grandfather started this incredible company, and all these people are making money off of it, either through dividends, ownership, or um, working for the company. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd kind of like to start that over again. I'd like to start it over for my great-grandchildren to see. And then, then I wanted to, to write in the book, I wanted to, them to know it wasn't easy to do this. Yeah. So that was kind of that was all the all the pitfalls of having your own business and starting starting from scratch, all the difficulties. And I thought I was broke several times or not going to make it. So that that comes out of the book. So you you see how difficult it is to have your own business. Mm-hmm. Um, so so talk a little bit about what folks will uh, learn from the book. I mean, what is the the uh, the message, the the whole story? Because, like I said, this is is about you know your life and your business uh, successes and and failings, and but there's a there's life lessons in here as well. Well, I think one is: Do you want to be an entrepreneur? If you want to be an entrepreneur, you need certain. You, ha- you have to have these six things, and one is visionary, uh, passionate, problem solver, mm-hmm. driven. This is the big one that I, you know, I kind of walk through these with people because people, young people, will come meet with me and say, "How do I do this?" And I'll go like, "Well, if you don't have these, and, and risk taker is the next one. It's just uh, that's what stops a lot of people." So yeah. taking risk is not something a lot of people like to do. And then obviously responsible is another one. But um, And then also what's important in life, I think that's part of it. And so it, I'm trying to tell what I think. What happened to me is I kind of got wrapped up in my my job before I started the company, which was the sales rep, and I was making a bunch of money, but I was never at home. So I was mm-hmm. like, I was you know not going to any games. I was not at my son's birthday ever because it was during the market of uh, January markets. And so I could never go to hmm. never, I, you know, he noticed it obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it was just, uh, I was like, I gotta, I gotta stop this. Unfortunately, I, having your own business didn't help much with that. Cause when you start a startup, <laughs> well, it's, yeah, you still have to go out all the time and see your clients and do all the things that you were doing before. Yeah, especially in the in the uh, early part when you start to to grow a successful business and grow it uh, bigger and bigger. I mean, I think a lot of folks can certainly relate to that, uh, whether they are entrepreneurs or not. Um, and, and how do you find that that balance? Because that's something that so many people struggle mm-hmm. with. I think in any business, it's the people, though. It's all about the people. And so when you get to a certain size where you can hire great management, they can run the company. And so you are you have a lot more time to think, which thinking is a big part of uh, being a manager. Mm-hmm. And that's that makes a huge difference. You know, I think if I could give any advice to, if you have any young listeners, it would be to work, work, work hard. Before you before you go, take your first job, if you could work and see what that's like. I think one of the things I learned by working from the time I was really 13, but 16 when I was working in a retail environment, mm-hmm. I learned so much 
by being there about, well, mine was trends, but also about, you know, overhead and making enough money to pay the bills. And right. How right. does this whole thing work? And, you know, I guess I was curious, but I think it's important to, to work before you get out of school so you understand yeah. how important, how much more you're going to learn from that than you do yeah. from book knowledge. It, it is interesting that that uh, seems to be a trend uh, that is uh – declining uh, among the uh, current generation uh, as a bit of a sidebar. Like we said, the uh, Detroit Free Press called this uh, book Essential Reading for Any Aspiring Entrepreneur. And the timing of that, I think, is really uh, perfect because there has been there have been so many people kind of uh, using the pandemic over the past couple of years as a reason to finally strike out uh, on their own. Maybe they've lost a job or, or maybe they uh, have discovered that they're just not happy doing what they're doing. And uh, this has kind of been an impetus for a lot of people. Um, is that a is that a good thing, do you think? I think, the, you know, that all the businesses that start in the United States is, a, is what really, you know, they you. you if you watch CNBC or Bloomberg or financial channels, mm-hmm. all you see is these large corporations, mostly that are public. And rarely do you see what really drives America is the small businesses. There's, there's way more small businesses, and that's where all the, you know, mm-hmm. that's where it happens. Yeah. So I think I think the more entrepreneurs and the more people we have starting their own businesses, whether it's their own franchise or they're starting something that, you know, has a little better success ratio or just starting from scratch their own businesses. I think that's a really critical part of innovation in the United States. Are there some people who are not necessarily cut out for this? Yeah. Anybody that doesn't have those six traits, I just mentioned. Yeah. I think those, those are critical. You know, I can go back through them again, but I think, I mean, visionary seeing the future is is kind of an important one and a problem solver. Mm-hmm. I, you know, there's, there's one that's pa- driven, driven. I, saw, I always say, like, I got this g- driven gene, but boy, do I not, it really hurts my sleep pattern because <laughs> you just you're so driven, you can't uh, yeah, you can't sleep. It's just like you got to keep going and make things happen. So and then passionate. I get I get people say wow you're really passionate about your business and i think that's just comes natural with the person that kind of personality yeah so uh in a sense uh this also uh may be a sort of educational uh in that way as well to kind of determine am i the type of person that can do this make a go of it and make it a success uh, the Butte White Story, uh, a summer classic, uh, is the uh, name of the book, and you have a website where folks can learn more about it as well, right? Yeah, you can either go on the Summer Classics website, that's our brand website, or butewhite.com, or obviously you can get it on Amazon. Really uh, inspiring book in, in many respects, and certainly worth a read for aspiring entrepreneurs of all shapes and sizes. Butte White, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. Best of luck with the book. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So later today... Blanchard Valley Health System will be hosting another Facebook Live event on the current state of COVID-19 in the community. Dr. Bill Coase is with us on the line this morning. And 
Uh, that is that Facebook Live uh, happening at noon today. Is that right? It'll be at uh, noon? Uh, yes, sir. Yeah. We're going to be live at noon today. And uh, I know you've done a number of these uh, Facebook Live events through the course of the pandemic over the uh, past uh, couple of years now. Uh, just out of curiosity, are you are you happy? Are you satisfied with the with the way this has provided uh, a direct conduit to speak to the community on this particular uh, pandemic? Yes, I, I think overall, I mean, we've learned a lot about the science of what's going on with COVID and tried to be able to communicate. Uh, we have good attendance. Uh, we get good questions with our uh, team that's worked to prepare the questions by asking the community. I think we've been able to cover the questions that are up to date. I mean, one of our biggest things of doing this is the science is changing uh, there's new recommendations, and that's been the intent of what we've tried to do. Mm-hmm. I, that is one of the things that has, uh, I know, been frustrating for a lot of people. I'm sure even the uh, medical community uh, is the way the guidance has evolved and what seems to be our best advice uh, one month is uh, outdated so quickly, and we learn, well, maybe that wasn't the, the best way of, of combating this. And obviously, as we learn more, that's going to happen. The uh, guidance is going to change and evolve because this is so new, but certainly it has been uh, frustrating for the public and for the medical community alike, I would imagine. Yes, and you, you, you put it really well, Chris. I mean, one is there's constant updates. Last night, just getting ready for this, I went to the CDC where we feel that we get the best information, and mm-hmm. there were a dozen new updates just yesterday about studies that have come in uh, related to pediatrics, related to what's going on with the Omicron virus. Mm-hmm. Uh, the disease itself is changing. The immunity is changing. But I think one of the things that, and and you pointed it out, that has been frustrating for everyone is that you hear something one week and the next week it seems to be backed off. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the things we've learned is you don't want to have to walk back what you've said, but things do change when you get things. So we have to be really uh, specific and try to, to, that people understand that this may change a little bit. Yeah. But you, but your point is right. The, this is an evolving disease state in itself. You mentioned the CDC. The recommendations uh, from the CDC are uh, pretty much what they have been. Masking is still uh, highly recommended, uh, even uh, among the vaccinated uh, population, uh, especially when uh, indoors and so on and so forth. Uh, they say that we are not there yet. We are not to the point where we can fully get back to normal, but uh, certainly more mandates we've seen being lifted, uh, not just locally, but uh, across the country. And it does not seem that it is significantly impacting the number of cases and more importantly, the number of hospitalizations. Are we starting to see that uh, play itself out uh, here locally? And is this a good sign that we are getting ever closer to being able to get back to normal? Well, I, I think so. Uh, whether the word's cautiously optimistic or data seems to be driving that, there's probably several several reasons why we are seeing a reduced number of individuals in the emergency room and doctors' offices being treated, uh, being diagnosed and being treated, being admitted to the hospital, uh, partially related to a lot of people have had it. 
A lot of people have been vaccinated. Uh, even though Omicron may not be as completely effective, it certainly is that vaccines are effective for it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then you add that um, people, there's still people, at least in the hospital, you know, we're wearing masks and doing things. So you add all of those up. But the, the bottom line is, yes, we are seeing fewer cases and, and we're, um, I, I use cautiously optimistic that that's going to continue to improve. Now, when you say that, um, we felt the same way last year, uh, June, July, we weren't seeing very many cases and we had a variant mm. that viruses mutate. So that very well could happen. Right. Uh, this one doesn't appear to have been as, as everyone has talked about as significant. Our concern when we talk about healthcare is we see the part of the population though, that it's still very problematic. If you have an immune uh, compromised situation, if you're elderly, if you're overweight, if you have diabetes or chronic lung disease, it's still a bad problem to have, but mm-hmm. the vast majority, well, let's say the majority of the population, that doesn't seem to affect them. If they get this, it acts somewhat like a cold. And then the second thing is we're still seeing a lot of people that have the long COVID. Um, right. We're not able to differentiate between Omicron and Delta and the Alpha, et cetera, but problematically and probabilistically looking at what data is out and almost everything we're seeing is Omicron now. And with respect to that, the Omicron surge was seemed to be relatively fast peaking. It came and it now has uh, started to decline. I think the uh, national numbers uh, that I've seen show number of cases down something like 60%, the number of hospitalizations down 40%, which is very significant. I know uh, here right. locally, as uh, with much of the country, there was concern over hospital capacity with this Omicron surge, but has that uh, passed and is that becoming a non-issue in terms of capacity issues? Um, it is. It's not a, completely a non-issue, but it's certainly not anything like we were a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, the emergency room number of individuals being seen in general, in addition to COVID, has uh, dramatically uh, reduced. And I would say that 30% or something like that um, reduction just in total numbers. The same way with the number of individuals in a hospital is uh, half of what it was before, some days less than that. Uh, it's something that with our staffing issues that we're able to handle much easier than what we were able to do before. So from that standpoint of being able to take care of people, uh, I think we're we're in much better shape than what we were before. You talk about cautious optimism because of all of that, and uh, but uh, again, weighing that against the possibility we may see another uh, variant and so on, and you were related to, obviously, last year we saw this dip as well, but the fact that we're seeing these d- this decline in numbers while we are still pretty much at the height of flu season uh, when we're indoors and you know we would expect to see right. more disease spread does that uh, is that a reason to be optimistic that uh, you know the timing of this is when you would normally think we would see cases increase and we're we're actually seeing a decline no that's a great point and and I agree with you I mean if you talk about what we can do to prevent the whole kind of thing it it's no question it's airborne the virus. Mm-hmm. So being in close contact with individuals, being in close ventilation, 
all of those things uh, significantly improve uh, the chances of getting things. In addition, there's a lot of people that have had it. Uh, one of the things right. with Omicron is it does seem to be not as, uh, not a, let's say it doesn't make people as sick, not as virulent. It's very contagious. Right. But I think one of the things we don't really have it, that good of data on is how many people were sick and didn't know that they had it. So mm-hmm. they've got some immunity, and it, it spread very fast because of the, the variation of what the variant was able, what it did itself. But in addition to that, um, it, it spread because people didn't know that they had it, and mm-hmm. so everybody got it. It jumped way up, and then it as there's no question the data is showing it's going down. Yeah. Uh, again, another uh, Facebook Live event from Blanchard Valley Health System uh, happening at noon today, and we have a link on our webpage if you want to uh, check that out. Uh, obviously, uh, there's uh, a lot to be encouraged about in this latest data. Talk much more about it uh, in that Facebook Live event at noon today. Dr. Bill Coase, Blanchard Valley Health System, thanks very much for the update. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. We welcome anyone, and if you have questions, let us know. We want to educate the community. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. You know how it is, uh, especially in this part of the country. Uh, you know, spring is not here. It won't be here for another month yet. I think March 20th is the uh, first day of spring, but Whenever you get a warm day from about mid-February on, you get a little spring fever. It's easy to forget that it is still winter. Steve McGuire, Plymouth County, Massachusetts. (laughs) Got a nice warm day the other day. Decided he would open the sunroof to his his vehicle. And uh, unfortunately, I mean, it was 63 degrees on Saturday in Massachusetts. Rolled the windows down, opened up the sunroof, enjoyed the record high temperatures. <laughs> Unfortunately, he forgot to close the uh, sunroof, and it snowed on Sunday. <laughs> Mr. McGuire says he did not realize until returning to the vehicle on Monday that he had left the sunroof open, allowing about nine inches of snow to accumulate inside the vehicle. And to make matters worse, it was his wife's vehicle. <laughs> He says, this could only happen in New England. Uh, grateful, though, that it wasn't rain. He said it was actually pretty easy to clean up because it was that light, fluffy type of snow. That's <laughs> Word of caution for you. If you uh, <laughs> pop open the sunroof thinking you've got a nice uh, early spring day to enjoy, make sure that you uh, close that again. There's... Uh, This must have been quite a sight at Orlando International Airport. A drunken passenger who was barred from boarding an airplane rode away from the gate on a motorized suitcase with a police officer on a bicycle in hot pursuit. (laughs) A bicycle officer chasing a woman rolling around on her motorized suitcase. Uh, the whole thing started when uh, Chelsea Alston, age 32, was denied entry on her flight due to her inebriated state. The officer politely asks her to leave the gate and return to the terminal, but instead she fires off a barrage of obscenities and then rides away on her motorized suitcase, leading to a crazy low-speed chase through the terminal. <laughs> The patient officer repeatedly tries to persuade her to leave the terminal until he finally has no choice but to place her under arrest 
And she resisted, to make matters worse, fighting with the cop and spitting at him. She was later accused of battering a police officer, causing more than $1,000 in damage to his patrol car uh, after he got her out of the uh, terminal. Uh, If convicted, she now faces up to five years in prison for each offense. (laughs) What started with a low-speed chase? woman on a motorized... A motorized suitcase <laughs> escalated out of control <laughs> in a hurry. Uh, let's see. What else is uh, going on here in the uh, broken news? A man charged with assault after allegedly he was asked to show proof of a COVID-19 vaccine to enter an Applebee's restaurant in Bellevue, Washington. Michael Dusa took offense to having to show proof of vaccination and he pulled a meat cleaver. <laughs> Out <laughs> and lunged at a bartender after he was asked to leave for not providing proof of a vaccine. Pulled out a meat cleaver. The uh, bartender was able to uh, shut the door to the restaurant before he was struck, and uh, Mr. Dusa is now charged with felony assault. <laughs> a meat cleaver. Who takes a meat cleaver uh, to the uh, to the restaurant just on the odd chance that you know? A uh, woman, <laughs> this is uh, this is kind of uh, odd. A uh, state employee in Georgia is now uh, in trouble after faking not one, but two pregnancies. 43-year-old Robin Folsom was working as the director of external affairs and supervising the Georgia Vocational Rehabilitation Agency's Marketing and Media Communications Department. When back in October of 2020, she advised the state agency that she was pregnant. By May, she announced that she had given birth. And uh, the agency got an email from a person claiming to be the father of said child, stating that the new mom had been mandated several weeks of rest following a particularly difficult delivery. And so here you get to the idea of why she faked all of this. The agency approved seven weeks of paid leave. An investigation by the inspector general's office reveals that in March of 2021, a coworker noticed she, she was it worked once, so she tried the scam again. But a coworker noticed that her uh, baby bump just wasn't right somehow, and uh, thought maybe Ms. Folsom was wearing a fake pregnancy stomach. The kind that they use in movies and TV shows, you know. The uh, office said that uh, Ms. Folsom sent photos of the new baby to various co-workers, but the pictures were inconsistent. And the children had varying skin colors. (laughs) Ms. Folsom also faked uh, another pregnancy in July of 2020. On uh, Thursday, she was indicted of three counts of felony false statements and one count of identity fraud. Making pregnancies to get time off from work. Oh, my. The things that people will do to get out of working sometimes. Finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, (laughs) police responding to a call about two suspicious packages sitting on the steps of a courthouse in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, didn't want to take any chances. They blocked off the street, set up a perimeter around the building, called in the bomb squad. Uh, But they were left a little red-faced when the hazardous device unit 
discovered that the threatening packages were two food orders from Taco Bell. (laughs) The investigation revealed that the boxes contained what we have identified as a delivery order containing a taco and burrito cravings pack from Taco Bell. (laughs) The order had been, they went on to describe the order in great details that it had been customized to include an assortment of regular and Doritos Locos tacos along with four beefy five-layer burritos. (laughs) Now, Considering uh, the fact that that can be uh, hazardous in a number of uh, different ways. I mean, if you've heard at Taco Bell, you know that that can can be dangerous, but not in the way that uh, anyway. There you go. That is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. WFIN, your year-round home for exciting sports play-by-play coverage. Finlay Trojan and Ohio State football and basketball. The Cleveland Guardians, Blue Jackets hockey, and the NFL regular season, postseason, and Super Bowl. And I got two words for you. Series sweep. The unthinkable has happened and history has been made at Nationwide Arena. The best in live sports coverage happens here. 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. And if Valentine's Day didn't work out for you this year, be advised it may be a while before you get your stuff back, if ever. Uh, According to a new survey, two in three people, two-thirds of us keep stuff from our exes, even after we're married. Uh, In a a new poll of 1,000 Americans commissioned by Neighbor.com, 65% say that they still have things that their exes gave to them or that they left behind at the end of a relationship. Uh, more than 40% have more than one item from a previous relationship. And uh, what are we keeping? 50% have kept love letters. This is pretty common. 46% have old photos of the two of you. And 43% still have jewelry from their ex. By contrast, 16% have held to held on to <laughs> their former flames gym equipment. <laughs> have kept their furniture. 18% have kept a pet from a past relationship. So it definitely raises the questions, why keep this stuff? I mean, if the relationship is over, why would you keep it? 44% of the respondents in the poll say that they are hanging on to the stuff for sentimental reasons. 30% say this old stuff from a previous relationship defines a specific chapter in their lives. Uh, I don't I don't know how that excuse will go over with your uh, husband or wife. (laughs) They find out. Uh, And how many of you are hiding that stuff from your current partner? Thirty seven percent of respondents say they have hidden their ex's items from their current squeeze. Thirty eight percent are holding on to the items for more practical reasons. The item still works. After all, if you bought a TV together, the TV doesn't care. Uh, you know, about your relationship status. It still works. Why get rid of it? Uh, so there is a practical side to that. Also of note, I thought this was interesting, 23% of men and 10% of women say that they are holding on to stuff because they someday hope to return it 
to their ex. Not that they hope to return to their ex. They hope to return their ex's stuff to them. So there you go. Well, as we mentioned, February is Heart Health Month. The tie-in is pretty obvious. Hearts and everything in February. Folks at OSU Extension, Hancock County, uh, are working to make sure that Hancock County's heart health is where it should be. Uh, Kara Reed is a dietetic intern uh, from Bluffton University with the uh, Hancock County OSU Extension. You've uh, been uh, with the, the Extension for a couple of weeks now, right? Yep, and for two weeks. Wrapping up the uh, 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 internship uh, here, but you've been working uh, very closely uh, with the uh, heart healthy uh, programs through the uh, month of February, right? Yep. So tell us a little bit about what's going on uh, in that category, the month of February, as we said, because it is uh, Heart Health Month. Well, hello. And again, this is Jennifer. And um, we have been working just to kind of get the word out there. We've got some, I had a program earlier at the library, of course, as we are there every month. And we mm-hmm. talked about breakfast and how to eat healthy breakfast and make ourselves healthy. Um, but um, today, we just want to share with your listeners a little bit about some things that they can do. Heart disease is the number one um, ad- cause of death for adults in Hancock County, as right. it is in most of the country. Mm-hmm. But there are things that we can do um, you know, as adults to lower our risk. So yeah, we've got, this has been kind of a, a crazy month at the office. We've had some staffing changes, so we haven't been out and about in the community quite as much as we normally would have, but we're mm-hmm. glad that you... Give us an opportunity today to kind of share with some listeners and get the word out about heart health. And then after Kara shares a little bit, I'll, I'll talk to you some more about some things yeah, coming up. Got, you do have some things coming up in uh, in uh, the month of March that we want to uh, get to. But Kara, talk a little bit about uh, that uh, heart health uh, initiative, if you will. All right. So I'm Kara. I'm from Pennsylvania. I'm a Penn State grad. And um, as we said, I'm currently with Bluffton University for Nutrition. So I just wanted to cover a little bit about heart health because February is, you know, heart health month. And also we're not just talking about Valentine's Day that we just had. Right. Um, I just wanted to tell you about how to reduce your risk of heart disease. Since heart disease is the leading cause of death in the United States, knowing how to reduce your risk is very important. So I just want to say that those with high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and those who smoke are always at higher risk. If you have diabetes, um, if you are overweight, poor diet, not active, or have excessive alcohol use, um, some things that could help um, manage your risk would be if you have diabetes, you would want to control your glycemic. Um, you would want to have good glycemic control. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important, and an RDN or a registered dietitian can help you learn about carb counting and how this could help you manage your blood glucose levels. Um, weight control, you want to maintain a healthy weight for your body size, sex, age, and it's important to reduce the strain on your heart. Um, eating a diet full of nutritious um, food is beneficial in preventing heart disease by reducing saturated fat in the diet, cholesterol, and also lessening your risk for a heart attack associated with cardiovascular disease. Um, physical activity works your cardiovascular system by improving the blood flow and strengthening your heart muscles. Reducing your alcohol intake could also reduce your risk for high blood pressure, heart failure, and stroke. Um, so um, how prevalent is heart disease? Some statistics I have for you. One person dies every 36 seconds in the United States. Hmm. 
600 dramatic statistic right <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah. Well, yes, and it's the number one killer, so I had to be a little harsh at first. So, <laughs> 659,000 each year. That's about one out of four that die from heart disease. And women, women are at even higher risk. That is uh, one of the things that will catch some people by surprise. Women are actually more at risk than, than are men. So, I mean, everybody's at risk, certainly, but uh, you know, the risk uh, actually uh, higher uh, for men. So important to uh, to think about this uh, at this uh, at this time. So, again, the month of February, kind of uh, rededicate ourselves to uh, Heart Month. Jennifer Little, as we mentioned, uh, is uh, with us uh, as well from uh, Hancock County OSU Extension Family and Consumer Sciences. You are going to uh, be back out in the community. A number of things coming up in the month of March. Yes, yes. Um, not only do we want to protect our hearts and protect our um, our health, but we also, of course, want to protect our finances. Um, the first full week of March, March 6th through the 12th, is actually National Consumer Protection Week. And um, I was contacted by the Ohio Consumers Council, and um, we are collaborating together to do a program. It's a virtual program, so people don't have to leave the comforts of their home and brave the weather. Um, it's, uh, but we are having, we will be hosting a panel of people from the Ohio Attorney General's office, the um, Consumers Council. We've got people from the Social Security Administration, as well as some senior groups trying to share with listeners or participants about how they can reduce their risk of being caught up in a scam or having the identity stolen. Um, I have an elderly mom, and I'm, when I spend time at her house, she gets tens, you know, dozens of calls a day from people yeah. trying to scam her out of things. And I'm like, yeah. oh, my goodness, this is, this is definitely a problem. And it is very easy to fall prey because people can call and sound like they're very legitimate. And yeah. People think, you know, I'd be able to spot this a mile away. Not always. No, they're no. getting very good. She got a call from someone the other day, um, claiming to be a cable company, and they and I said, "What well, cable company are you from?" And she went out and you know, gave gave that information. But it would have been, you know, for someone who, especially maybe someone who is older, who may may have some assistance with some of their bills and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, they might not know all the details, but it's very important to um, to double check. You know what's going on, and yeah. and the and again when we have so March 9th, Wednesday, March 9th from twelve thirty to one thirty. This will be a virtual program. Um, there's information on the extension website about that, and I think Chris is going to share some information on the BFIN's website as well. But mm-hmm. people, we are asking people to register just so that we can make sure they send them the link, right? And they can participate. And there's time for question and answer. But I'm excited about this program. I think it's going to be. A, a really good opportunity for people to get the information that sure. they need. Absolutely. Uh, anything else coming up in the month of March you want to uh, highlight? Yes, yes. I don't know. Um, some of the listeners might be familiar with the Community Reads program mm-hmm. um, that the library sponsors. And during my monthly um, Eat Well, Live Well program, we are the, the Community Reads program is um, the Yellow Wife. And so um, they wanted me to plan an event kind of with some food around that might kind of tie into the book. And so we're going to talk about Southern comfort food, good for the body and the soul. So if you've got a little bit of interest in trying something new, and that will be the first Wednesday of the month, as it always is from 4.30 to 5.30. So that'll okay. be Wednesday, March 2nd at the library. You just kind of go to the library's website and you can register for that just so we have a count of who's going to be there and we can make sure we have enough food and enough handouts and stuff for mm-hmm. everybody. 
Anything else to um, uh, spotlight? Yeah, well, and Kara mentioned a little bit about diabetes being a risk for heart disease. We are, um, I'm working with 50 North and we're going to be kicking off the diabetes support group again. Okay. We're going to um, get that going and that's going to be meeting the um, second Tuesday of the month. And we're kind of, kind of talking it, we're kind of entitling it doing diabetes together to offer information and support for families and loved ones and individuals that might be facing diabetes and just want some um, help managing that disease and just um, some fellowship with others that are going through the same thing and getting some ideas about how to manage that better. And as we know, that's a risk for so many chronic yes, other chronic diseases. Absolutely. Well. And uh, commiseration is a good thing. Uh, it can <laughs> yeah, be very yes, healthy. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, again, Jennifer Little, uh, Family and Consumer Sciences, the Hancock County OSU Extension, along with Kara Reed, the dietetic intern, Bluffton University. As you mentioned, you are wrapping up your uh, uh, internship. What is next uh, for you? What are you, uh, you looking to, uh, to do next as you uh, step out into your uh, career here soon? So, three months. It's very exciting after five years. Um, I'm looking to do clinical nutrition. I really like okay. the hospital setting, fast-paced, some critical care. Um, just really excited to get out there and help people. Very cool. Um, and March is coming up, and that's National Nutrition Month. So go online, look a little up that, and um, yeah. Very good. All right. Well, uh, certainly best of luck to you, Kara. Thanks very much for uh, dropping by, Jennifer. Always a pleasure. Uh, more information, as we mentioned, at our webpage, goodmornings.net, so you can check that out online. And that is our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.